0: What's happening, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Wrapping with Reef Bomb. I'm your host, Keith Berkelhammer. So, tonight, I welcome back both Dr. Sanjay Yoshi as well as Mike Paletta to the show. What's happening, there, guys?
1: The festive season. Time to enjoy the holidays.
0: (laughs) What's going on there, Sanjay?
2: i have to finish grading. You gotta
0: finish grading. You got a whole bunch of uh tests or yeah. papers
2: there that uh need your attention. Fitals. Yeah. Yeah, semester ended last week, so now it's time to grade. Yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> appreciate you taking uh, some time out to talk uh reef with uh with us once again here. It's always a uh a, a privilege and a lot of fun to uh to talk to you guys. So apologize for the uh technical difficulties or some gremlins uh I'm uh, going about uh, there in terms of uh, doing something funky with Mike's uh, Skype, but we got all that figured out with a new link, so we're, uh, we're ready to rock and roll. Just a, uh, some quick intros here. Um, both these guys are icons of the hobby, and, and, and as always, I'm thrilled to have them on the show together. Sanjay has written many articles about reef keeping. He's been a speaker at several National Marine Aquarium Society meetings and local clubs in real life. Sanjay, as we're talking about, is a professor of industrial and manufacturing engineering at Penn State University. Mike, too, has written a lot of articles for many publications. He's also published two books, The New Marine Aquarium and Ultimate Marine Aquariums. And Mike has also been a speaker at many reef keeping conferences in the U.S. and around the world. This uh, last, uh, last year, last uh, September, Mike was named the 2022 Mazna award recipient so before we start chatting with these gentlemen i want to thank the sponsors for the show both bulk reef supply and ecotech marine appreciate their support i also appreciate all you folks out there tuning in and supporting the show as well please uh, hit that like button spread the word so we get more people into the live stream and as usual please uh drop your comments and questions in the chat i see we have a whole bunch of people already in the uh in the chat so uh Gentlemen, what's going on? What's, uh, what's new with the tanks?
1: Well, I I'm actually Sanjay is following me and he's starting to experiment a little bit. So (laughs) for the last two or three months, he's been experimenting with adding ammonia to his tank. Uh oh. I've been doing now for six or eight weeks and we're both seeing pretty good results from what in seeing his tank in October and seeing mine now, Uh, I'm getting slightly faster growth is indicated by looking at the tanks, but also by faster calcium and alkalinity consumption But we also found out that if you aren't managing your nitrates, they'll tend to bump up pretty quickly. So It's good because corals absorb obviously absorb ammonia In priority more than they like nitrate. So that's what got Sanjay started it But seeing his results, I decided to try it as well so now we don't have just anecdotal. We have two guys that are crazy enough to try it.
0: Sanjay, why did you start doing that?
2: Well, again, just from reading some of the papers and the literature, uh, to, you know, talking to some faculty here at Penn State, and one of them is an expert on Zuzantelli, and we were having this conversation, and he said, oh, yeah, you know, we see it all the time in, the, in our – experiments that the zooxanthellae will take ammonia first and then the nitrates. So I said, oh, what do you think if I start dosing ammonia instead of putting dosing nitrates? And he kind of in, implied that it might be a good, good idea. I did a little more research on it, on, at least on the internet to see what the hobbies were doing. And I saw Randy Holmes Farley talking about it too. And he had a little recipe for dosing ammonia, and I said, You know, I'm just gonna try it. I mean, I was dosing nitrates anyway. So I just switched that out and I tried ammonium chloride first, and then I said, Why am I putting chloride in there when I could be putting hydroxide? So I put ammonia, so now I use ammonium hydroxide. And, you know, it's, I managed to keep my nitrates around three or four parts per million which is way lower than what I've ever yeah. run my tanks. you know. But the corals are all happy. Uh, what- uh, yeah. so. it's, it's seeing
1: Sanjay's tank in October from seeing it in February, it was like night and day. I mean, the corals-
2: would Well, be- I see it now, it'll be another night and day from they were, October now. I mean, they were
1: literally starting to grow out of the water like good old Sanjay's corals always were. They were vivid coloration. The dead spots had basically all been grown over. I mean, it was remarkable What six months but you, how long have you been dosing the ammonia? Three months, four months?
2: Yeah, about four months.
1: Okay, yeah, I've been doing it six weeks or eight weeks. And I keep my nitrates a little bit higher at 15 because I was dosing them as well. And I, I've seen the same thing. I mean, the colors are popping. The corals are encrusting faster. And like I said, the, uh, ammonia, or the uh, alkalinity went up by about 30% consumption-wise. And calcium went up by about 25% consumption-wise. I can say that because I'm using dosers and I know how much I added before I started dosing the ammonia, and now it's bumped it up significantly.
2: I did some rough calculations, because I was struggling with keeping the alkalinity up. You know, it uh, kept dropping into the six and seven range pretty much every day. So I was like, oh, let me do some calculations and see how much I'm adding. And I, I was adding a, almost around four DKH Per day, and it was still dropping in the day. So I have bumped it up even more. Now I'm up to over five. Oof. So there's a lot of alkalinity going into my tank now, and I was that's a good surprised by the numbers that's a good there. Thing. You know, that's why I sent you a message. Remember, I said, "What is your calcium reactor yeah. putting out?" Because mine was putting out about 30 dkh. And uh, so now I tweaked that up, and now it's putting out 50. How
0: did you do that, Sanjay?
2: I just wasn't putting enough CO2 in there because I was afraid of dropping my CO2 down quite a bit. Because at night, my CO2 was still getting to about 7.7. Oh. And the day would swing all the way up to 8.3. So I said, you know what, I want to get that night number up a little bit, and I was afraid of adding more. Uh, CO2 by bumping up the dose. Yep. But I found that now, you know, I, I bumped the alkalinity now to way beyond what I was running at. Now I'm running it close to eight yeah. or nine, mostly towards the nine. And that seems to help with the pH a, a lot. Uh, you were running
1: the Destaco reactor, which would shut off at night. It had that light sensor. You're still running that, or are you running a different calcium
2: reactor? No, no, I always ran that 24 7. Okay. I've got a new, different reactor now. I got rid of the stock.
0: Yeah. You're using the, uh, the reef octopus, right? The, uh, the single chain. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. I don't think that reef octopus can keep up with my tank. <laughs> well,
0: your, your corals are, uh, are too happy. That's what's going on there. Did, uh, did, are you
2: yeah. tweaking? I'll take yeah, that right that's a good now problem because I've two years of them yeah. struggling, you know, did,
0: are you, um, are you, are you tweaking at all in terms of how you're adding a uh, kogwasser?
2: I just got the barrel. Thanks to Facebook Marketplace. I found somebody locally. Yeah. He had some fifty-five gallon barrels for sale and I picked one up. Yeah. Don't so it still got the olive smell in it because he it, olives came oh, out. Oh olives, yeah, I got a I've been, barrel. I've been rinse, I've been rinsing it daily and trying to, you know, dilute that smell out a little bit. But... so yeah, what plus I don't wanna make a change before I leave. I'm gonna be leaving in a week or so. So I don't want to make a change right now. So when I come back, I'm going to go to the caulk dosing method using the barrel instead of using a react cock reactor.
0: Yeah, we were um, we were talking about that in terms of like using a, a reactor stir or whatever um, you want to refer to it as. But um, yep. yeah, when I was talking to Chris Meckley about this, you know, he he, he surmised to me that um, you know he thought that if you're using a stir stirrer reactor or what have you, where you're having your auto top off run through it. You know the rodi that it could potentially be diluting the um the caulkwasser that's coming out of it in terms of that uh solution. oh sure
2: yeah i i think it definitely is because these reactors are small right. they're not that big right the servers are not that big and for a tank like mine if i'm going to run four or five gallons through it you know then it it dilutes it because I think the cock needs to sit there for it to dissolve slowly. It takes a while to dissolve it and so on. So I definitely think it dilutes it you know, as initially it's okay because you know I only started at night. I mean only dose at night. So that first dosing might be okay, but as more and more water runs through it. It
0: yeah, so you're you're basically talking about a um, the method where you're using a uh, a container, a drum, bucket, what have you, and and um, you're putting in the, uh, the cock loss. You're adding the uh, R O D I, and you're you're pretty much pulling that out with a doser and dosing it.
2: Yeah, but at the, the rate at which I'm consuming stuff, there's no way this yeah. thing keeps up. <laughs> the clock will not keep up. I did the math on it and I was like, oh no, this won't keep up.
1: Well, what are you evaporating a day? Because I evaporate about five gallons a day. Is that about what you're doing?
2: That's what I used to do, but now I have too many tanks running right now. And the evaporation is happening in all the tanks. So my big tank evaporation is not as high as it used to be. Uh, it'll pick up in winter now here. I mean, as it gets drier, as the air gets drier. Yeah. But still, I mean, I don't think I'm reaching five gallons anymore. I used to at one point, but not anymore.
0: Um, So Intrinsic Reef has a question. What is y'all's opinion on adding vinegar to caulkwasser? I started following Dr. Bingham's uh, recipe of 45 mLs per gallon and have seen better acro coloration and thicker tissue. Any thoughts on vinegar to kalkwasser?
2: Yeah, I mean, it will definitely increase the concentration of the alkalinity in your kalkwasser. So that's definitely a possibility, but I'm afraid of, at the same time, if you're adding so much of vinegar to your tank, right? I don't know what it's going to do, especially with a big tank and you have five gallons of system. And uh, I'd, I'd much rather add the vinegar separately so it can be reduced and dialed in, you know, as opposed to tying it in with the caulk. If I had a smaller system, I would probably do that. But for the big system like
0: mine,
2: Mm. I don't want to tie up too many of these things and, you know, I want control over all of them right now.
0: Yeah. Um, So let's let's um, let's get back to the ammonia dosing. And um, so do you both honestly believe that the um, the the better coloration health of your corals are due to that? that, uh, starting that dosing, is that something that you, um, kind of one, one change you made and you've seen those kind of results or no,
1: I think it's incremental. I I think most of the things we do right now are incremental. I I can't really say I've done something that's like, wow, you know, in two weeks, it was something amazing. It's just the slow, gradual improvement of things. And once you start to get them growing faster, you start to see better coloration because everything that's growing faster typically is better colored. So it's just, me being patient and me incrementally doing things rather than herky-jerky moving ch- changing something or testing something all the time i've gotten to the point where everything has been stable roughly for the last nine months now i do one thing and i let it look for three or six months and see what it does i'm at, like i said i'm at the six or eight week mark i've increased my alkalinity and c- calcium consumption the coloration of my corals are as good as they've ever been but is it due to that or is it due to my being steadier and not Fluctuating things, I can't say for sure. But in another couple of months, if my alkalinity and and calcium levels continue to increase, then I'll say it's probably due to the ammonia because it had stabilized at one point.
2: It's taken Mike thirty plus years to finally listen to me. (laughs) How many people listen to me once, and not make these jerky, jerky things that he always does? You know.
0: Well, you know, the mentality is something's going wrong with the tank. You want to have it. You want to fix it as soon as possible. So if there's two or three variables in play, right, you play with those two or three variables. But that always ends up as a
2: you never yeah. know which you one never know which one.
1: It's actually worse than that, is that you're always incrementally trying to make things a little bit better, not realizing that all you're doing is slowing things down every time you change something. So. If I can stress anything to anyone after 40 years of doing this, I can't believe next year's my 40th year of having a reef tank, which seems like I was basically a a child doing this, but (laughs) you were too, Sanjay, you were soon after me, but it's 40 years is a long time to do anything. But seeing that I I have finally developed patience after 40 years, I mean, that's what this hobby has taught me is patience, but it, it took losing half the tank fighting all these battles to really learn not to constantly be tinkering with the tank
0: what um what would you guys and i know this depends in terms of what you're exactly doing in terms of tinkering but um any any ballpark answer in terms of how long you should give an experiment to see whether or not that experiment works is it weeks is it months
1: months i I generally go three to six months months. three to six
2: three months three Three months. months yeah I mean, I, I see it with corals all the time, right? I mean, I blast my tank with light compared to other people, right? And white light. And every time I get a frag from somewhere, they pretty much go through a shock in my system. And it takes them at least three months see, I, to recover. I run slightly
1: less white light. I don't run it, everything full blast for 10 hours like Sanjay does. I run it for six hours. But I've also learned the hard way that I'm not a survival of the fittest guy like Sanjay is. I'm a, (laughs) let's slowly acclimate the stuff. So I started down at the bottom, (laughs) then I move it up three weeks later, then I move it up. Because I'm planning on keeping these corals forever. So if it takes me three months to get the coral in the place I want it, that's not a big deal anymore. I used to always be in a hurry. we got to move it in. we got to put it in there and let it grow. Nothing ever takes off for the first three months you have it in the tank. You know, I'm sorry. I I, people send you these quarter-inch frags and show this monstrous growth in six months. I've never had that. I've had them settle down for three months. Then they start to encrust. Then they start to grow. But it takes a while. And it It takes a while. Yeah. God bless the people that can have a coral grow into a full-blown colony in two weeks. I've never had that. (laughs) I want to meet those people. I want to come and stay at their house for two weeks and actually observe it.
0: <laughs> yeah, you guys
1: some corals will do it. Some can grow yeah. really fast. Yeah. yeah. Right? No, some corals grow much faster than other corals. I mean, my torch grow but like still, nine, in my three tank.
2: Months, Three months a frag is not going to become a colony by any means. No. What uh
1: and particularly the size frags people send. I mean, I'm I'm gonna be writing an article on this that I did a study in uh, uh, I'm trying to think uh uh, what the German guy is. We both did a study and looked at mortality as a function of the size of the frags and the mortality of frags for less than half an inch is so high. It's not worth getting half inch frags. And for Sanjay and I who are waiting for these to grow into colonies, we may be dead before they actually grow into <laughs> colonies. So we've given up on half inch or smaller frags.
0: I sent you guys some chunky frags. How are they doing?
1: Yes, you did. They're doing great. They're doing good. They're yeah. Doing
0: good. That's, a, that's a lost art, right? Actually. Yeah uh, sharing and sending whatever, uh, larger, uh, frags that, um, that is a, a lost art. Um, Oh, turtle reef. Well, Go with, ahead. The, with
1: the economic downturn, I'm seeing people have been culturing and holding frags longer. So the last few frags I've gotten from shops have been much bigger than they were six or nine months or a year ago. I mean, they're like double or triple the size. So I'm quite happy about that.
0: Well, yeah, Mike, uh, you, you wrote an article on Reef Builders about the whole uh, landscape, right, in terms of the online frag uh, stores and local fish stores. you want to, um, should we, uh, we delve into that a little bit there in terms of the uh, what, what's been going on?
1: Yeah, I, I basically, in, in talking with people, because one of the nice things about having done this this long is that I talk to a lot of people and have a lot of friends in the <clears> hobby. <throat> and I was, went to a couple of shops around here, And they were all starting to complain about how much things had slowed down. And then I talked to a few frag vendors and a couple said the same thing. But then I started talking to manufacturers and wholesalers. I mean, nobody wants their name to be out there saying that the business is down. And obviously some people's business is up. It all depends on your locale. But for the most part, everyone's seeing uh, the words that were used most frequently were steep decline, which is never good terms when you're talking about economic status. So I, I wrote that up to, to get people's opinions of that and also what it means to the hobby and how we can get through this because un- unfortunately or fortunately, there really hasn't been a major economic downturn since 2008, 2009. So a lot of these people that have gotten into the hobby and a lot of people that are doing aquaculture or opened a shop or whatever have never really been down through a, a bad period. Consequently, they don't know what's, what's going to happen because the thing now is This hobby is basically driven by people having free cash in their pockets. And because obviously it's a relatively expensive hobby, but it's also one where you can decide, okay, do I, right now it's decide, do you want a tank of gas or do you want to buy a frag? Most people will opt for the tank of gas. Most people we know would go for the frag, but most people, normal people would go for the tank of gas. So that's all having some impact on the hobby. So potentially what it may do is bring some prices down because a lot of the prices actually start at the collector level. Uh, the people in Indonesia and the people in Vietnam and the people wherever all have the internet. And when they see corals going for $500 and $1,000 a piece mm-hmm. and they were selling them for $10, bucks, they are scratching their heads going, why <laughs> am I selling this for 10 bucks when people are getting you know, 500 times the price of it? So obviously the prices there went up. But more importantly, the price of freight has gone up three or fourfold. It's starting to come down a little bit now. It's come down a lot in the last six months, but it's still significantly higher than it was during COVID. In addition, COVID drove a lot of business in that everybody was stuck at home. Pet shops were allowed to be open because they were still considered vital. And if you're home, people bought puppies, people bought cats, and people took care of their reef tanks. So there was a lot of free money going into the hobby, but now that's over. So now you see the uh, pet shelters jammed with cats and dogs that people don't want. You don't see the fish store stocked with uh, fish and corals that people don't want in their tanks. But like in Pittsburgh, I've seen more people going out of, getting out of the hobby in the last probably six or nine months than I've ever seen. Mm. And in talking with my friends in England, uh, they are, are saying that over a million hobbyists have left the hobby in England due to cost and due to uh, electricity costs. Where the electricity costs in england have increased fourfold consequently you can't afford to have a big tank unless you're very wealthy and for normal people it's just gotten out of control so there's a lot of factors when you lose a thousand hobbyists that drives demand down obviously at some point it's going to drive prices down so it's going to be interesting to see conversely uh reef has just put out some surveys of what the hobby is worth and where the predictions are and I mean, some of the things that I'm just pulling off the top of my head is they now see that there are 6.4 million saltwater hobbyists around the world, which is amazing because 10 years ago, there were barely a million. They also feel, also found that the hobby right now is worth $2.1 billion, which is significantly higher. But the most amazing thing is they felt that by the year 2100, there would be over 100 million people in the hobby worldwide. Well. Which I found astounding. No way. It's I don't think that'll happen, that will happen. All the data be came here from, so it won't really matter.
2: All that data came from that paper that I posted on Facebook. Yeah, that's the source of uh, all that data, and there are numbers in there that I absolutely don't agree with. You know, uh, I unless they're counting hobbyists as freshwater hobbyists in that number. Yeah, I. Their number of beef aquarists is, is just I always thought
0: wide. it was like around a, that, that million number that you, you cited, Mike, that was 10 years ago. I, I kind of thought that it was always around 1 million mark. Um, I don't know if that was a, a, a worldwide number or a U.S. number, but I, I kind of thought it was a million worldwide. But, uh, yeah, six, over 6 million does seem pretty high.
1: Yeah, I, 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 we went with a million worldwide 10 years ago. And now supposedly there are a million just in the U.S., which I don't know where those numbers come from.
2: I don't know. I only have 500 followers on on Instagram. So maybe there's only a thousand people out
0: there. (laughs) You you know, another thing that, um, you know, Mike, that um, you you mentioned the the cost of freight. Right. And you're talking about the cost of freight of shipping corals, uh, you know, across the globe uh, from the collectors to uh, to the U.S., what have you or to wherever. But uh, the other thing that I think has really changed a lot Uh, Is within the United States itself in terms of shipping, you know, next day air or via FedEx to, um, you know, from online stores to hobbyists that that things have changed since COVID started with that. You know that um, the prices of of shipping stuff like that has gone up a lot. Um, Liability has gone down um, significantly. So I think that's also another thing that doesn't get talked a lot about in this hobby is what's going on with the shipping industry within the united states
1: i actually wrote about that eight years ago on uh, reef builders fedex i i have literally talked to vice presidents at fedex fedex loses three out of five boxes to me i i mean i live in pittsburgh the fedex office is literally seven minutes from me the fedex hub is nine minutes from me they still lose every box three out of five boxes and I literally talked to the vice president, and he said, if you have an issue, call me. I called him. He said, we'll work on it. It has never gotten better in 10 years. It has stayed exactly the same.
2: Yeah, I mean, what's interesting to me is that it's not even worth, worthwhile to do a trade with anybody for corals. Especially somebody who have to ship corals, too, right? Just the trade itself, forget the cost. There's no coral being sold or bought. Just me sending the corals to you, and you sending me corals. That's a two hundred plus dollar yeah. transaction. You know, just in shipping. So you know, you trade it with people, but you still hundred bucks out of your pocket. You know.
1: Yeah, that, that's like so you hope, you even know, that doesn't seem to make sense. People close by that you can trade with. I mean, Sanjay doesn't have many that's- people up there. I have about ten people in Pittsburgh, but. Other, what's, what's crazy is Pittsburgh has one nice reef shop, but if you go to Buffalo or Cleveland, they each have at least half a dozen, which I don't understand.
2: Yeah, I have nobody around me, so you know I always look for whoever's around me. So I started getting on these local Facebook groups that sell coral and sell equipment, and I posted on there, and I'll be very happy to trade. Not selling, happy to trade hoping that people would jump on it. Nope. People do not want to trade. They all want to sell. <laughs> yep.
1: There's a lot. Well, they don't want to trade with you, Sanjay, because you don't know the names of the corals. If you said, I have all the named corals you could ever want, and you can make up the names, as long as they're named, they don't care.
2: I got them from Keith. He named them. I, I don't the know what's on the, the bag. I don't remember the names. Neither do I. <laughs> I know, but it's still on the bag. I don't know what what coral was in what bag. You got You got to take pictures,
0: Sanjay, <laughs> of the coral in the bag, or take take out the coral, and it's a pain in the ass, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is. So all I know is oh, I got that from Keith. I got that from Keith. I got that one from Keith. I got that from Mike. That's what I know. Right, and and.
0: Before you the know, show, that, you were asking me this cor, this purple coral with the yellow tips. What was that one called? I was like, Oh yeah, okay. The uh, that's how you figure it out. You no,
1: know, and what's yeah. funny, we've been trading corals with each other for over thirty years. They look different in each of our tanks. So even though it may be named, you know, the rainbow intergalactic whatever in my tank, in Sanjay's tank, it changes to a different color. Then I bring it back, and it changes again. You you can't base it on that. Be- also. I see the same coral from three different vendors with three different names. So how can you keep any of this stuff? I certainly can't. I don't have time for that.
0: You know, so you, you,
1: I can't. I'm you even you guys don't have
0: lineage of your uh, corals and all that. You don't have paperwork and whatnot to prove the uh, where it, uh, where it all came from
1: yeah i have appraisers come in and they (laughs) estimate the values and then they give me certificate
0: (laughs) yeah i mean what you know what's what's um mike you also talked about local fish stores and how they're struggling and and uh you know it it would be great to kind of see them be able to make a rebound and all of this stuff and 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 really um you know see hobbyists kind of value them like they were valued years and years ago it's the online marketplace is what's killing them but
1: well amazon is killing them more than the online marketplace because they made most of their money on dry goods and they can't compete with amazon on dry goods so they're getting killed there and then livestock was their secondary thing but everybody can frag and grow sps corals what's interesting to me is i still I, i literally do not see any soft corals anywhere it is so hard to find nice soft corals now those are harder to propagate they're easier to keep. If these guys were smart, they would be marketing soft coral tanks. But, oh, no, that's too easy. Those are too boring. I love my soft coral tank in the sunlight. I have a jam-packed full of fish, jam-packed full of corals. I mean, there's movement. There's color. I mean, I think a soft coral tank is still great. I mean, I obviously love my SPS tanks and my LPS tanks. But I love a soft coral tank. If these guys were smart, they would start marketing what a soft coral tank looked like and sell it to beginners and introductory people and get them excited about the hobby again but everybody I mean, wants you, to sell them the, the most have. colorful stuff at the most expensive prices half of them fail and you don't make money on somebody that's closed their aquarium I, I, I don't know what they're thinking
2: yeah, but your softcore doesn't have softcore 10 doesn't have the $600 latest bubble mushroom does it? Yeah, no <laughs>
0: Well, that's the whole thing. I mean, you've got pretty much hobbyists who are trying to acquire pieces where they can actually make back their money and then bend some.
1: Yeah, and that's that's the mindset of everyone. It's basically a huge Ponzi scheme is how the hobby is based now. It's not based on, let's enjoy the hobby, let's sit in front of the tank and look at the fish and look at the corals. It's, oh, I bought this coral for 200. In six months, if I can grow a fragment and sell it for 100, I got 50% of my money back. If I can do that again in six months, I'm even. Well, when everybody's doing it, it's the people at the top that sold you that $200 coral that made the money. It's not the guy at the bottom trying to sell it for 100 He never makes his money back. And, you know, it's basically how a Ponzi scheme works.
2: Yeah, all those $1,000 rainbow splice frags, they're not worth $1,000 anymore.
0: Well, the way you, you grow that mean, coral,
2: uh, Sanjay, or... Uh... I, was, I was told you could buy them for 200 bucks or less a piece with
1: I, I saw frags on black friday for 79 dollars. i mean it's it's a millipora it grows really really fast yeah. so it's not the beat all and end all anymore
2: so if you were one of the early guys and you got into on the thousand dollar deals yeah that was
1: good it's a ponzi scheme yeah. I, it proved my
0: i'm seeing some uh comments here in the chat so it, it uh it it the uh the Meckleys are saying that uh, international freight has gone down a lot almost back to normal but um and greg carroll is saying the same thing but you know
2: but prices are not coming for, down
0: for international i guess the freight but the domestic um is, uh, still, is still going really
2: yeah but the, the international freight should bring down the price of these corals right yeah
1: oh yeah also Wholesale so prices. somebody
2: doesn't buy corals, I
0: have no idea. Right. What was that, uh, Mike?
1: The wholesale prices have come down some. I mean, they're not, they're not back to where they were pre-COVID, but they're not as high as they were in uh, 21 and early 22. They have come down some. Plus, you're seeing more sales and stuff from wholesalers because things are building up. There is, is, I mean, I've had a couple people, when I was talking to them, say there is a glut of corals right now.
0: Right, and um, you know it's um, it's interesting because um, you know you've got you've got the whole thing going on. What we're talking about in terms of the uh, the the sky high prices and the online um, frag sellers are kind of struggling in terms of business down since COVID, but. You know, tra- like Sanjay was talking about, trading is just something that seems to be a lost art. And um, frag swaps have changed a lot, too, right? You know, I mean, um, years yeah. ago, when you went to a frag swap, you actually swapped frags. You didn't pay money a lot of times for, uh, for frags. And now I think these days, it's, um, you know, you go to a frag swap and there's um, more vendors than the eye can see. So it's um, it's tough there's there's a lot of people out there selling stuff
2: there's yeah I mean, I, everybody's selling pretty much You're, yeah most people are selling everybody except the two of us <laughs>
1: <laughs> um
0: well i mean given what you guys are uh going through right now in terms of the uh, success with the tanks is it pretty much all the uh, the episodes of the rtn stn uh, over with for, for both of you guys and, and um I think we talked about this the last time. Sanjay, you don't even know what really the cause was for your uh, tank.
2: No, I don't even know what it was, but it's it's over with now. You know, the real test is going to be again in March and April.
1: Yeah, March and April That's seems to be when it, you know, it kicks
2: in. March and April? When it really
1: yeah. kicks in. Yeah. Why is
0: that?
2: We don't know. Somehow <laughs> it's when things are blooming again. It's spring. We don't know if it's pollen,
1: so, yeah. although I, I did take some frags and put uh, a high amount of pollen in the water with them. Didn't let it touch them, just had it irritate them. They both started shedding tissue. So there is something to it, but it might've been just the pollen I took from the oak tree.
2: So it's, that, that's a natural thing for the reefs, right? Yeah. Oak pollen.
1: Yeah, reefs don't get a lot of <laughs> pollen on. Yeah. So Although uh, yeah, Sanjay has been a pollinator of corals for years. Now he's pollinating fish too. He even tried some different fish. He's tried spawning and raising.
2: Oh, what? Well, I didn't spawn them. I just was I raising them. you were just
1: them. raising them. Okay. I thought you spawned them. Too. Yeah.
2: No. Um,
0: yeah, because I know, like cyano, right? that That's something that uh, usually comes up in the spring and the fall time for some reason. And uh, do you guys see that ever happening with your tanks? Kind of cyano popping up? I don't up.
2: see it on a cycle. Cyano comes and goes.
1: Uh, I see it when I get lazy and let detritus accumulate in some dead spot. Other than that, I really don't have much of an issue with it. It's when I get lazy.
2: I got a tank full of detritus. 20 years worth of detritus.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but when you cleaned it all out, your corals went nuts. You know that. I remember when you cleaned it I can't clean it out.
2: I can't clean that out.
1: You cleaned a sump now. You never cleaned a sump for 20 years. Sump
2: is nothing. Sump's got nothing in it. You know, it's got a little bit of inch of the just
1: detritus, that's nothing, okay. And from a 500-gallon tank, the sump is the size of my kitchen table. That's a lot of detritus, Sanjay. It's not like you have a 20-gallon sump.
2: Hey, my nitrates are, you know, these days around 3 to 5. Phosphates are like below 1. I mean, what is that detritus it's really that ammonia doing to ammonia dosing. It's
1: the ammonia dust. Yeah. Your corals are eating everything in sight. You better not fall in the tank, Sanjay. What happened to Sanjay? The corals consumed him. <laughs> see, Sanjay, like Wait. they sting
2: me now. The corals sting me now. Acropora sting my hand. Oh, really? Oh yeah. oh, yeah. See, I just
1: get that from you? I reach
2: in to grab something, and it's falling, and I, my arm touches some of the acros. I get a little welts. Really? For me.
0: After all these yeah. years, I think it's payback. You know.
1: Yep, they know you're going <laughs> to you frag them, so back, they're, yeah. they're out to get you before you get them.
0: <laughs> you got you to gotta, you know, you gotta, gotta, keep those fragging tools out of the tank. They're, they're, uh... Yeah,
1: but you had Tony fragging your tank for 20 years. Now that Tony's not there, you're doing it yourself. That's why you're getting sick from it.
2: Well, Tony's, uh, Tony's allergic to stuff, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think these allergies build over time. Yeah.
1: They will. It's, yeah. it, you don't ever really develop, uh, desensitize the bee sting venom or nematocysts from corals. Because if I get touched from a euphilia, my hands swell up now.
2: Mm. Yeah, anemone, my rose anemones will sting me. Well, that makes sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, the carpet yeah. anemones are the worst. You get stung by a carpet, well, you feel that for weeks.
2: But I've never heard of anybody getting stung by hard. an acro. Oh, yeah, acros will do it next time it happens to me i'll take pictures and post it
0: (laughs) interesting well okay that's uh yeah something you got to look out for i guess um so another thing i wanted to talk about mike and there's another thing you wrote about in reef builders is uh is stress in the uh in the hobby and um (laughs) you guys right now seem to be kind of carefree right because things are going well with the uh with the tanks but that kind of turn on a dime right
1: It could turn overnight i mean we all we all joke about happy wife happy life it's happy reef happy life too if your tank's bad you you just have this feeling of helplessness and hopelessness and i've talked to enough people about it and enough people have called me and says you know i'm having this problem i can't sleep you know you got to help me get the tank settled well how's your married life well i don't really care i gotta get the (laughs) tank squared up so it's true i mean and It doesn't matter if you have a nano tank. It doesn't matter if you have, uh, you know, uh, Andrew's 17,000 gallon tank. If something's going wrong or there's a problem, I mean, when I'm having a problem, I end up waking up at five o'clock in the morning. I go check the tank with a red light. I see if I find anything weird going on. I mean, I have found predatory snails at five o'clock in the morning. I have found bristle worms the size of my thumb in, in the middle of the night. I have found so much crazy stuff going to see it. But when I can't sleep and I'm worried about it, that's what typically happens. And I, I've talked to enough people. They're the same way. They can't fall asleep. Their mind's racing. Okay, what is this going on? Is that going on? So, I mean, the, the bottom line is you have to solve it. And then it is relaxing. I mean, like I said, the soft coral tank I have, I can sit in there for hours because there's always something going on. I mean, I got two new fish in the last four months that I have fallen in love with. They're blue gudgeons. They're nothing spectacular except they're electric blue. They're the size of a pencil and as long as a pencil. They hide, as soon as I throw out food, they shoot out like a lightning bolt and go back in. Hmm. To me, that's like the coolest thing. They've been around for 30 years. I never had any in my tank until now. So just simple stuff like that.
2: That's the great thing about this hobby, right? There's so much out there. You can have fun with every aspect of it, right? I'm sure there's lots of fish that I've never kept, right? You can get into those. You can start growing marine algae you can start trying to spawn things I mean there's just so much that you can do so at least I don't get bored if I get bored with the tank I start doing something else you know and there's still so much to do and have fun with
1: yeah there's so much to do and there's always something there's also there is always something yeah there there
0: is always something um
1: just now like how I spent my day today I took apart the 40 gallon LPS tank because. Three months ago, the aptasia-eating fowlfish started finding out that they liked Euphilias. So I took them out of the tank, but I still kept feeding the corals. As I kept feeding the corals, all of a sudden, the aptasia went insane. So I could either stop feeding the tank and try to starve the aptasia, which is never gonna work, or I took all the corals out, scrubbed them all off, took all the live rock out, soaked it in kalkwasser water for two hours, <laughs> Washed it all off scrubbed out the dead uh, Aptasia that were there put it all back together Now everything's fine. Everything's open the aptasia are gone And now there's a new pair of aptasia eating in there to eat the small ones that I missed But there's
2: always something like that And the aptasia are not gone. Oh, so I know but they're, they're not <laughs> like they were <laughs> but I took They're day. hiding in your pipes. They're hiding in places. I soaked the pipes. Those things will grow without over, light I, they over grow Overflow without boxes. Light. Oh, I
1: know. I soaked the pipes. I soaked every piece of live rock. I scrubbed off every piece oh of heart. coral. I scrubbed the entire tank down of, of Aptasia. I know there are still some in there. That's why I put a new pair of Aptasia eating fowl fish in there.
0: I've always had great luck. I also with...
1: found three fish in there that I didn't know I had because I hadn't seen them in six months.
0: <laughs> I've always had really good luck with the peppermint shrimp. Keeping the uh, the aptasia in, in check, but um,
2: yeah, I haven't been able to my find. Black cap eats them. My black cap will eat all the shrimp.
0: What, what what's going to eat all the shrimp?
2: The black cap grabbers? Uh, yeah.
0: Hon- hon- you, yeah, his, his, his
1: black cap you know. grandmas are like trout. They're like this big and one <laughs> of those fish you put in and they ate them immediately, the little Fridmonis, or what little fish you put in. Oh yeah, I
2: put some Friedmanny's in there and he just swallowed the whole Friedman right away.
0: That's a I mean he That's a major bummer.
2: You know, I, he swallowed the baby uh, mandarin. But then he spit out the mandarin. They they don't like the taste of mandarin. <laughs> yeah, the mandarin has <laughs> a but it it damaged 30. it enough that I don't think the mandarin is alive, you know. I haven't seen it, but I don't um, think it's alive.
0: All right, let's take a couple of questions from the uh, viewers here. Greg Carroll, what's happening there? Greg, um, how much ammonia is Sanjay dosing?
1: We're both dosing 40 milliliters of a, uh, what do we put in? What's 20 grams 20, in 500 milliliters? What's, what's, what? 20
2: grams in one liter. 20
1: grams in one liter. Okay. 20 grams in one liter.
2: And then I, I dose about
1: forty mL of that every day. Yeah, I, I have mine on a dosing pump, so it dumps in uh, ten milliliters four times a day.
0: And your systems are total volume,
1: uh, roughly the same yeah, size. around six hundred gallons total. Six hundred gallons range. total.
0: And um, does it matter in terms of the uh, the ammonia hydroxide that you're using? Is there a particular, or uh, you're just trying to find pure? No, we got
1: the same one on Amazon. Same
0: one. Amazon. Okay. Um, is there a risk of overdosing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would would watch the the fish the first few times you dose it, but I've not had, I mean, I have 300 pounds of live rock in the system. I, I, I think it can handle, you know, 10 milliliters of ammonia. So,
2: yeah, and I also, you know, I'm starting to even wonder how long does the ammonia stay in the water column?
1: I'm assuming the corals absorb it relatively quickly.
2: Or does it even get out of my sump before the things in the sump consume it? I don't know.
0: <laughs> and does uh, time of day matter in terms of dosing?
2: I just dose the whole day. Yeah, I mean, I just use the whole day. And I daylight when the corals mor- probably are
1: going to be more metabolically active than they are at night. But, you know, that's just, con- you know, I could try at night, but I'm not experimenting other than just adding the ammonia. Like I've learned don't do 12 variables. Of yeah. Once.
0: And, and you're not.
1: Yeah, Mine just goes 24 hours. you're not turning hours.
0: the skimmer off then. No, no, no. Um, John Wright, uh, does Mike change his miracle mode now 50% a year or all of it?
1: I change, uh, I have it in uh, three 10 gallon or whatever bag buckets. I do one every six months.
0: One every six months, and that's in the sump.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: So they last 18 months, is the oldest one, and the youngest one is, you know, new. So there's always one being switched out
2: how do you know it? it's ineffective after 18 months
1: i uh, i don't know it's just what i've been doing since 1996 so i am um, stick with the same routine you're the guy don't change anything so i'm not changing <laughs> anything i know that it works
0: um tom 202 do you guys see nitrites no no
1: but it, we both are dosing uh you're still dosing vodka and i'm dosing vodka as the nitrates did start to get up, climb up, and once I started dosing vodka, they came back down pretty quickly. You're dosing vodka too, correct?
2: Yes, really small amounts, just to add a little bit of carbon all the time. Yeah. That way, when I need to crank it up, I can. And I never have to wait for things.
1: Well, my in-laws are from West Virginia. You know that expensive vodka you use? I can now get vodka for five dollars a fifth, so that's what I'm dosing with. <laughs> I buy
2: the cheapest vodka from the store. I know,
1: that's $10. I'm getting it for half of that in West Virginia, so that's what I'm doing now.
2: Yeah, but one bottle of vodka lasts me for a long time. It's not like I'm putting a lot of so, it
1: Yeah, that. mine lasts a month, exactly one month.
2: No, no, mine lasts, you know, almost a year now.
1: What are you dosing? No liter, that that's not probably doing much.
2: I'm not dosing that much. Yeah.
0: So you guys are dosing uh, yeah. vodka to help accelerate or propagate the bacteria growth in your, uh, in, in your tank versus dosing bottled bacteria, correct?
1: When I did the uh, Cipro treatment, afterwards I dosed a bunch of different bacteria. And since then I've been adding the vodka basically to keep the bacteria where I want them.
0: And, and how do you know, um, you know the level of bacteria? You, are you still doing aqua biomics test, Mike?
1: no because half the time it comes back inconclusive so i I stopped doing that but i'm not seeing any problems with the coral so it's basically the eye test okay i'm not seeing rtn or stn so i'm assuming things are stable and better and the corals are much more stable so like i said i'm trying to keep things like this rather than here 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 and obviously that's paying benefits now and after doing all these things and getting to this point i'm sticking with what has been working rather than you know what, I'm gonna tweak this. I'm, I'm no longer of the opinion, I, I can make something that much better by making a change. It's more, I can make things that much better by keeping things stable.
0: And, and how do you guys get to, the, uh, to that baseline level of vodka that you're dosing? I mean, do you kinda like follow those formulas that are out there? Because there is a risk if you dose too much of that stuff then uh, that can cause issues.
1: Yeah, you can get a gram-negative bacterial bloom and wipe out the fish very quickly. Uh, The worst case I saw that was uh, David Saxby's tank 20 years ago. He had an automatic vodka doser and he was fiddling with it. And he went in the other room to take a phone call because cell phones weren't out yet. And the entire fifth of vodka got dumped in his tank. And three days later, you couldn't see the tank. It was totally cloudy and all the fish were dying from big red sores on them from gram negative bacterial infections. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. And then, then yeah, if,
2: I'm not dosing that much. No, but if, so you, does a, really if, I
1: if could, you dose a fifth in like or, 15 minutes, that's. Oh well,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: I'm not dosing.
2: Yeah, no, no. I dose 30 milliliters in three, three liters of water, and then I dose 100 ml of that every day. No, I'm I'm dosing. I'm dosing maybe one or two one ml a day.
1: Yeah, I'm dosing yeah. 30 milliliters a day. I got started at two and gradually got it up to where my nitrate levels are where i want them at which is between 10 and 15. so I, I test every three days and if the levels are good i stay with what i'm going if they get a little bit high i add another extra little bit if the levels are low i add a little bit less it,
0: so mike you're not dosing any more bottle bacteria like mb7 or anything like that you're just doing the uh, vodka dosing
1: yeah i because uh, I mean, Talking with Claude Schumacher of Fauna Marin, he kind of laughed. he says, "I don't understand all these people telling you to dose bacteria every week. Bacteria should live if it doesn't live in your tank, what is the good good of adding it and I have to agree with them. I mean bacteria live virtually in everything and everywhere. If you' got to dose it every three days, uh, there's something wrong so I, I mean they're making money selling bacteria, and we don't even know what's in there. We don't want the strains, we don't know the concentrations so I like I said, I dose." six or seven different kinds of bacteria after I did the Cipro treatment to try and get as wide a variety of good bacteria as I could, hoping that the manufacturers were indeed providing me with good bacteria. And since then, I've just been dosing a a, a relatively moderate amount of of, of vodka and everything has been stable. So I I base it on that rather than I'm going to do a test and see where the levels are. I knew the levels were bad whenever the corals were dying. Then when the corals stabilized, the levels were all balanced. The corals are not balanced now. That's the same thing with doing an ICP test. I'm a big fan of doing ICP tests, but I'm a big fan of doing ICP tests when the corals are good as well as when the corals are bad. Most people wait to do an ICP test till they have a problem in their tank, but they didn't do the baseline. You got to have a baseline to know where the problems are. I mean, I, I was just talking to someone. His barium levels were off the scale. I said, what were they before? Well, I don't know. I, I'm assuming that's it. I said, they may have been this high forever. It may be something else. You can't base it on one test when you're having problems that that's where the problem lies. You needed to do it when everything was good. So I now send an ICP test once a month, and it gives me a much better idea of A, what my baseline is, and B, if there is a problem, what I need to adjust. Because I'll I'll be honest, I've never had a perfect ICP test where all the levels were exactly right. Something is always a little bit skewed. And again, talking with Claude, he said 95% of the people that send in ICP tests, none of them have perfect levels. There's always one or two variables that are are off. He said then they tinker with it, and then something else is off. Because everything interacts with everything else. It's not like this is a, uh, a straight system where you add two milliliters of this, and it doesn't affect this, this, and this everything affects everything else in a in a reef tank
0: are you guys uh no longer tweaking uh, certain uh, elements based on icp test results
1: i'm not tweaking them i'm trying to keep them stable i mean the the one i found that was the most important to me i know sandy doesn't believe this was fluoride because my fluoride levels were always exceedingly low they were like 0.31 and you're supposed to have like 1.2 1.3 Now, my levels stay at around 1.25, 1.35, and the corals have have stabilized from that. I've been doing that now since February. The fluoride levels have been nice and straight.
2: I'm hovering around (laughs) 0.3.
1: Yours are still 0.3? There you go.
0: Are you so You're not dosing fluoride, Sanjay. No.
2: No. I mean, I don't you were dosing it because you got
1: me the fluoride that I was dosing.
2: I did. I always keep everything in hand. <laughs> you never you know. know. <laughs> yeah. But the thing yeah, is, right. I don't yeah. notice anything different, right? I mean, it's not visible to me. And I,
0: I saw, I saw I blue uh, coloration come out when I started dosing fluoride. That was the one thing that I could really pinpoint in terms of dosing certain elements. When I started dosing...
2: Uh... Yeah, but You can't guarantee me that nothing else changed.
0: I, I I I made that's that. Uh, I started dosing floor I didn't change anything else.
2: <laughs> there you go, Sunday. <laughs> the only element. I... Yeah. In the meantime, other things could have changed. Of course.
1: Well, other things could have changed, but he didn't change them. We we can't affect that. I mean, like we said,
2: no. no good, bad in the spring, in the, in the spring or when or pollen no. comes out. We can't change that. <laughs> so I mean, there's. You know, things change without you changing them. Yeah, that's the beauty of a reef thing
0: I. It... You don't there's, a lot of, there's a lot takes- of anecdotal evidence out there. Let's just say that, I guess, right?
1: Well, well getting back to ammonia. There's goes- a lot of
2: anecdotal for bacteria. Why don't you keep dosing bacteria then? Why are you picking and choosing which anecdotal stuff you should go with? You already did that. Whenever you started dosing <laughs> ammonia, you're back to Dick Perrin <laughs>
1: peeing in the tank, Sanjay. No, I mean, I looked at enough research papers. I know, but Dick Perrin was doing it 30 years ago, and we made fun of him, but he was right.
2: There are some people who just have a natural instinct, (laughs) right? I mean, you look at all these master gardeners and stuff that are out there. They can grow the shit out of plants, but they don't know anything about the physiology of plants. Yeah. But they have developed, you know, a good sense.
1: Well, it's called a green thumb. Over time, you're going to tell
2: me some guy who six months ago didn't have a reef tank, and now has a reef tank, and he's beating his chest about adding this, and his tank looks a whole lot better you think I'm going to believe that? No, No.
1: but I believe people that have been doing this 10, 20, 30 years. I mean, those are the people I talk to. How many of
2: them are there? And I know all of them personally. Yeah, we both do.
1: (laughs) I mean, we grew up with them. We were kids when we started this, Sanjay. (laughs) Now we're like the real crazy old uncle. Let's ask crazy old Uncle Sanjay. What do you think of this?
0: Um. Greg Carroll, my last ICP was all green except iodine. It seems like iodine and iron always um, come out like um, zero or uh, very low, depending, I guess, on what you're, uh, what you're dosing. But, uh, yeah. Well, they're
1: oxidized and consumed very quickly. So unless you do it soon after you've dosed it, it's not going to measure. And in most tests, it should be undetectable. So it's kind of a, I mean.
2: I- my, my iodine is off the charts.
0: Your iodine's off the charts yeah any any, any idea yeah.
2: why yeah from dosing some of these uh, things that i was adding for my algae to grow the uh-huh. algae scrubber wasn't doing there we well. go so they said oh are you got gonna add this i said sure i'll add it you know let's see what happens and sure enough the molybdenum the the iodine and nickel all high are off the charts right so is that good or bad I don't know. I don't know what's good or bad. Well, it it, it depends if you believe
1: that there is a therapeutic window. That is, there is a level below which it's bad or a level above which which is bad, but there's this sweet spot that you want to be in. And unfortunately, I don't think anyone has exactly what the sweet spot is for everything. And like I said, out of all the ICP tests that go into Claude, and he's done over 200,000 of them, very few of them are all in the sweet spot. Some are higher, some are lower. And the, the question is, what, what does it mean? No one knows.
2: Right. I mean, do you, do you believe that we can manipulate the corals better than what they're in the wild?
1: No, but I don't believe a reef tank. I believe that. I believe I a reef believe tank is, is a small section of a reef. A reef tank is a totally different organism from a reef. It, the only thing it has in common is that's water in it.
2: Other than that, it's not the same. So I, I think that you, we can manipulate the environment and get these corals to actually grow and look better than what they look in the wild. I, I agree with you. I mean, you've
1: been diving, I've been diving. I've never seen a reef that looks like your tank. I've never seen a reef that looks like my tank. I've never seen a reef that even looks like a shop's tank where everything is colorful. I mean, when right. I went to collect corals in Fiji for a 5,000-gallon tank, we would swim over a football field to find one coral that was colorful. I got to plug my computer in. I'll be right back. Well,
0: while you're uh, plugging, your, plugging your computer, oh, you're losing power. <laughs> okay. uh, I, I do want to thank Rob upstate New York for that super chat at the beginning of the show. He's, he's, uh, he had to take off, but it said, uh, Keith, Sanjay, and Mike, we'll watch later. Keep helping me with all of this knowledge, buddies. Thank you, Uh there, uh, Rob. So Sanjay, you uh, is the scrubber offline now? Or are you still using the scrubber?
2: No, it still runs, but it's. I'm not adding chemicals to make algae grow. I mean, to me again, it's it's counterintuitive. You know, it's like, why am I putting in all the effort to get algae to grow? I have way better means of controlling my nitrates.
0: Well, oh, yeah, you're doing the uh, the ammonia dosing. I, You've got the uh, vodka dosing.
2: I got vodka dosing, I got other options, right? Mm -hmm. And now to keep this bacteria going, I mean, the the algae growing, well, now I got to add stuff.
1: Is your phosphate also equivalently gone down or is your levels like 0.01, 0.03?
2: No, 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 it's not that low. No, it never gets that low. How
1: low are you running?
2: If it gets to 0.1 these days, I'll change the GFO. And it'll hover anywhere from 0.6 to 0.1.
1: Yeah, I I run about 0.1, but I run 10 or 15 nitrates. And it seems like the ratio is more important than the the actual numbers. Who knows? I'm just going by what I I have seen from other people's tanks.
2: That's what we go with, right? We go, all right, this seems to be working for me. I'm going to keep doing it until I think it's not working anymore. (laughs) So, Sanjay, you mentioned... And that's what I tell people I tell people that. I go, you know, if it's working for you, don't change it because Sanjay is doing it or might still. Good it. advice. Yeah,
1: that, that's one and of I... the problems in the hobby is that it's the uh, idea of the month club. Whoever has the latest idea, we got to do this. And then someone else says, we got to do this. I mean, it, it, it is problematic. And it's been that way literally since we started. But now we have so much more information and so much more data. But people still want to listen to someone that has a 20-gallon tank and has 10,000 posts. And that well, that's... This guy has to know. No. I, I never learned anything talking. I only learned listening. <laughs> so I try to listen as much as I can rather than talk.
0: You know, one thing that seems to be like all over the place um, in terms of like on social media and, and what have you are these corals, do-it-yourself coral snow recipes. What do you guys think about coral snow?
2: I think it's a good flocculant. Yeah, I, I actually it definitely the clears water. up the clears water, the water. Yeah. you
0: guys utilize that coral snow
2: yeah i make my own i mean not on any regular basis you know uh, but yeah i mean I, again it's on my shelf
1: yeah i do it twice a week <laughs> i blow over the corals with a, a power head, then i dose that and then i let it go for two or three hours until the uh, mechanical filters are plugged up then i take them offline clean them put new the mechanical filters on because it's amazing to me how much detritus accumulates in a day or two in a tank around the corals i mean it's where there's empty spots Sandy doesn't have empty spots so he doesn't know this but when you have <laughs> empty spots that are void of corals detritus loves to settle there and in my tank which is still you know a quarter of frags where the frags are on the base detritus tends to settle so by doing this, I've gotten less detritus, and I've gotten the water cleaner. So there's less uh, detritus floating around in the water column.
2: Yeah, like sometimes in the tank, you'll see a little haze. And if that haze lasts more than two, three days, you know, I'll go, ah, maybe I'll just throw some coals, this powdered calcium carbonate in there. It does help clear yeah, it up. Yeah, and
1: you always get paranoid when the whole tank is clouding. Oh, my God, it's never going to clear. Three hours later, it's like, wow, Look how, it looks like the corals and the fish are suspended in, in air, how clear it does make it. Do
0: you, do you think that could uh, potentially help with cyano issues? Do you think that um, coral snow treatments is a, uh, a good preventative measure and even potentially something that can be utilized to eliminate cyano?
1: It, it can help reduce the detritus, which to me is still one of the main causes of, of cyano. But whether, it, if, if you don't have a lot of detritus and you get cyan,a will it work? I don't know. That one, I, I have no idea. On.
0: Are you guys utilizing uh, bacteria in your coral snow um,
2: recipes, or are you just doing like calcium carbonate?
1: Just calcium carbonate. So.
2: I'm sure there's bacteria growing in there, but sitting on my shelf for so long. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be surprised that there is no bacteria in there.
0: And I'm assuming you guys also run activated carbon?
2: I run
1: it for yeah. two weeks a month.
2: I I put it in. I mix it up with my GFO. So every time I change the GFO, the carbon. That's discharge. interesting,
0: Sanjay, that you're running uh, GFO because um, you've got, I guess, um, you know, the vodka dosing, the um, the ammonia hydroxide. Are are you concerned with the um, with the uh, the GFO that you're? pulling out more than just uh, phosphates, right? I mean, it binds phosphates, but it also binds other trace elements.
2: Yeah, it'll binds. It'll bind, sil- it'll bind silicates. It'll bind arsenic. It'll bind some other things. Uh, but it's not, again, you know, is it binding stuff and everything is showing up as zero in my uh, ICPs? I don't, you know, no. Obviously. It's not, stripping, it's not stripping stuff out that needs to be there.
1: I'm assuming, Sanjay, the, at the rate your corals are growing, they're stripping stuff out far faster than the GFO is.
2: But the phosphate levels still creep up.
1: Yeah, but I saw how much you I fed. Can, and I can imagine that when you throw in like this much food, you're going to get phosphates because it's all protein.
2: Yeah, but I'm getting nit- but They also give me nitrates. Nitrates, I can manage much more yeah. you know, easily than I can manage the phosphates. The phosphates just keep creeping up slowly. Um, yeah.
0: I had a question earlier from somebody in the chat, and I can't remember who it was. And I'd have to go searching for that person. But um, I think it was last week. I had um, Dong Zhou on, who who um, is um, he's a PhD, he's a scientist. He uh, he's out of uh, the Boston area. He, he has he has a, a, a frag operation out of his basement. In, incredible, uh, Coral, I highly recommend if you're in the Boston area, to go check out uh, Song's operation because the guy has got the, um, you know, the, um, he's got the knack for, for growing Acropora. But on the, uh, on the show last week, he mentioned that he has started to dose um, vitamin C, and that I guess about over 10 years ago, that was kind of like a thing in the hobby, to dose thirty it.
1: years ago, Albert Thiel suggested doing vitamin C thirty years ago. It's carbon dosing.
0: Yeah, he basically says there's science, scientific literature that backs it up for coral growth. You know, it's um, potentially can reduce the chance for RTN STN, so it's uh, it's beneficial to the coral tissues. Have, have you guys ever dosed it? and Thought about dosing it?
1: I dosed it thirty years ago, as it was also touted then as a treatment for ick. It didn't work didn't work (laughs) no so there there it's like i said it's been around for at least 30 years albert teal was selling a vitamin c supplement for reef tanks back in the day so it's been around literally forever
2: i mean it's it's citrate right so essentially whatever citrate is going to decompose into and it's to me it's another source of carbon too yeah it
1: depends how much you're dosing you know. Uh, until someone has two tanks comparing A and B, one getting vitamin C, one not. I mean, that, that's, that's the one area where the hobby is still lacking, in that it would be great if we saw a lot more test comparisons. Okay, mm. here's LEDX versus LEDY. Okay, what do the corals do? Here's flow X versus flow Y. And over time, not over two or three months, but over six months or a year. You know, those are the kind of things that I I wish hobbyists would do rather than worrying how they're going to uh, name a new coral, but come up with something in the literature or something. If you have two tanks, run a comparison of them. I mean, I I would like to see somebody do that. I mean, Bulk Reef in its early years did more of those comparisons, but that's changed over time. But there's still room for that in the hobby because a lot of it, as we've talked about, is still anecdotal
2: it'll stay anecdotal for a long time, you know. Uh, it's just no easy way to do controlled experiments. Takes. Well, and then the other side of the whole thing is that the people who do the controlled experiments, these scientists, there isn't a good bridge to bring that, to take that knowledge and apply it to a reef tank either. Yeah. You know, so, you can take some stuff from these research articles and then we extrapolate it and say, all right, you know, maybe I'll try it on my reef and see what happens, right? Uh, at least there's some research foundation for it, right? Rather than just arbitrarily doing something. So although there's some value to people arbitrarily doing things too, because if, you know, it's like thousand monkeys Typing on a typewriter, you know. At some point, they might create some good words. (laughs) Um, Sanjay's
1: referring to all us reefers as monkeys. That's not nice, Sanjay. You're not going to get a lot of publicity. Good publicity for that. No, the the closest thing we have to getting scientific data is the work that Jamie Craig's is doing, where he basically lays out everything he's doing to get the corals to spawn, which is pretty much the ultimate in terms of getting, making sure you have the healthiest corals going. And uh, all his stuff is published and you can read it. It's not anecdotal. It's, it's done by a... a no, that's a not anecdotal. So, I mean, I, I read pretty much everything repeatable. he writes because I, I, I have seen what he's doing and what he's doing is working. So that, that's the closest we have.
2: You know, it's a repeatable thing. Yeah. And that's what we need. Some, um, something that can be repeated over and over again. Right? So one of my things that I've been thinking about is... Before somebody sets up a reef tank, just take your tank and learn how to manipulate nitrates and phosphates. Just get to the point where you can run, you can manipulate them like a yo yo. Take them up, take them down. Take them up, take them down. If you can master that, then put corals in it. (laughs) You know, because this is what you're going to be fighting the whole, you know, the duration of your reef keeping hobby.
1: Yeah.
2: Right? And I think we have enough understanding on how to do it now, right? And just find a way that works for you, that you have enough confidence that you can now manipulate these levels as you want them, right? Pick any method that you're comfortable with. You, know, you want to use algae scrubber, go ahead, use an algae scrubber, learn how much you can manipulate with the algae scrubber and so on, right? So when you set up, put, put the tanks in, put corals, you're in charge. You can control that now. It took me a long time to realize that, you know, that, that's all we're doing is fighting this nitrates and phosphate mm. levels.
1: Well, <laughs> see, that's what's curious though, Andre. We took the test of your tank when there wasn't a speck of algae and your corals were growing out of the water and your nitrates were over 90, and your <laughs> phosphates were 0. 0.3, and your corals were still phenomenal. So there's even more to it than just managing nitrates
2: and phosphates. No, no, I know. But, you know, if you do 10 tanks with those high levels, nine of them would fail.
1: Yeah. Hmm.
2: All right? Uh, there may be one outlier in there for whatever reason. Right? And maybe it was at that point my corals were slowing down in growth. You know, and I didn't care if they're slowing down because it's already too big, right? So I think if we can manipulate some of these key parameters, we know how to manipulate alkalinity, we know how to put two-part dosing, we know how to do all that stuff, right? Uh, but get to that same level with these other major parameters. And nitrates and phosphate are the biggest drivers.
1: Well, nitrates and phosphates... Right? Every
2: research paper I see talks about the implications of coral growth and nitrates. A lot of papers do that. so nitrates do impact coral growth. There's enough evidence to show that. But what I find fascinating is when they talk about high, oh, we tested this at high levels of nitrate. Well, their high levels of nitrate are uh, way lower than my low levels. (laughs) (laughs) Right, and they're calling that high levels and they're showing that there's a, a reduction in growth. Of calcification slows down, right? So I, I'm thinking about how do we reconcile this, right? That we're running in our tanks at 10, 15 nitrates and so on. And we're still getting what we consider decent growth. But these guys are reporting that at levels that are considerably lower than what we keep our tanks at. It, it's already inhibiting growth. Or I wouldn't say growth, but calcium uh, depositions within the coral. Same thing with phosphate levels. I mean, the numbers, what they call high is numbers that we, Don't even get in our tank. Is it like on a natural reef, though?
0: Like nitrate levels are pretty much average, like around 0.1. I mean, very low on a natural reef.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But like we said, you you can't base a reef because it's an infinite amount of water. So it's constantly washed, low concentration. Yeah. Versus you have a but They're
2: getting the nitrates somehow, right? They need nitrates. They're getting them somehow. Maybe it's from the ammonia from the fish poop, you know? And it gets consumed right away. They're still get nitrates, otherwise the corals wouldn't grow. Nothing would grow. Yeah, if
1: there's no nitrate, I mean without
2: nitrates and phosphates, nothing. Yeah, these,
1: grow. these people that advocated, I mean, you remember the the low nutrient systems, zero nitrate, zero phosphate. The corals were always like skeletons. I mean, they looked white and pale. Some of them had brilliant colors because they were stressed and they, they had literally no growth in them. They couldn't figure out why. The same thing now. If you have a healthy tank and suddenly you bring your phosphates or nitrates down to zero, the tips where the growth is will turn white. Why? That's where the growth
2: is. There's some interesting one research paper I recently saw that was talking about glucose and nitrates, or or N, not nitrates. Glucose and nitrogen are the two things that the coral uses to balance out the zooxanthellae in their system. Again, you know, I haven't really talked to Todd about it, our zooxanthellae expert, but that's one of the hypotheses that people are proposing because they said the coral extracts the glucose, gets the glucose from the zooxanthellae. Yeah, but if the corals can get it from somewhere else, they really don't need the zooxanthellae, you know. So there were these experiments where actually dosing glucose in the water. And they found that adding glucose reduced the amount of zoosanthalium in the corals. So somebody wants to try this, make your corals look lighter, put some glucose (laughs) and see what happens.
1: (laughs) There are literally an infinite amount of experiments we could be doing hey Sunday, when you retire you move down here we'll just run experiments all day
0: there you go um <laughs> uh, brian washington
2: the problem with the experiments that take too damn long to run yeah
0: i know brian washington thank you so much for the uh for the super chat what about dosing nitrates and phosphates is that something that you guys are currently doing to your systems or is that just kind of uh, counterproductive based on where your parameters are typically at
2: well i mean i'm dosing ammonia so that's nit- that's the issue is not nitrates. The issue is N, is nitrogen. nitrogen. Right? That's what they need.
1: And phosphorus. They need
2: phosphorus from as nitrates. Well, for ATP, for there's energy. Enough, there's enough, again, scientific evidence to show that it takes more energy to break up a nitri- nitrate bond to extract the N than it takes to get it from ammonia. I'd say if you have your two choices, you would go the easier route. Right? So, nitrous is just a source of N.
1: Yeah, whether it's nitrite, nitrate or ammonium, you have to supply some. So, And the same thing with phosphate, you have to have some phosphorus in the tank. And that's what's always been curious. I mean, in the early years, the tests were so bad, we always wanted to beat at zero. Yeah because the tests were so bad. Now the tests are so good, but now you still have organic, inorganic. I mean, people I've been told for years I have zero phosphate. I said, take a little bit of your detritus off the bottom, shake it in your water, pour that off and test it for phosphate the next morning. Geez, all of a sudden I have a ton of phosphate. Yeah, no kidding. I mean,
2: it's a ton try this, but no
1: phosphate. Yeah, Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Sanjay and his one inch has enough phosphate to supply all his corals forever. You
0: bottle that, Sanjay.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I'm seeing a lot of questions about vodka dosing still. What, what about um, if you have low nitrates and phosphates? Is that uh, something that you uh, should avoid is vodka dosing? Is that kind of yeah, dangerous?
1: I would.
2: It'll take the nitrates down even lower, so why, why do it?
1: Um, yeah, and you, you asked about dosing nitrate and phosphate. I have in the past when the, the tank was, was not balanced. It's typically an indication of my tank is unbalanced when my nitrates and phosphates suddenly plunged to nothing. Uh, so in those instances, I have had to dose nitrate and phosphate, neophos, and I mix up my own nitrate. But now that I'm dosing ammonia, the nitrate has stayed relatively stable with the Vodka dosing, and the phosphate has stayed 0.06 to 0.1, occasionally up to 0.11, 0.13. But even at that, I I haven't had an algae issue in the tank. So that's the main concern is controlling the algae.
2: Right. Keep fish, keep urchins, keep stuff that'll eat the algae. If you're going to fight algae only through chemical means... Yeah, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. Yeah. What about cyano? But, what about cyano?
0: That, there's no uh, natural predators. for.
2: That's a different beast.
1: And it's different in every tank. And it's different. I mean, it's, it's in between a plant and a fungus. And it can live on anything. It live on no light, bright light. It's, it will drive you insane.
0: Are you guys uh, advocates for I, chemical? You know, uh, I had
2: high nitrates. And, I was going to say. I, when I had high nitrates and high phosphates, I didn't have cyano. Now, I have cyano now again. And with low. with low nitrates and, and low muscle. And
0: uh, are you guys right? advocates of uh, chemical intervention with cyano?
2: At some point when it becomes unbearable, I'll do it.
1: Yeah, whenever it takes off. But normally I just, growing growing just go, everything.
2: let it go. Let it go. It takes care of itself.
1: If I see it in small little patches of small amounts, I blast it with peroxide. And that seems to manage and keep it under control. But if all of a sudden it just starts growing, oh, overwhelming stuff then i take out the Chemiclean clean and wipe it out and i'll, I'll do a uh two-day blackout and Chemiclean, clean and then basically it's always gone
0: and are you dosing uh some bottle bacteria after that uh clean treatment to try to replenish any of the uh collateral damage that goes on with bacteria with those types of treatments or no
2: no 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 you're not wiping out everything anyway it's all comes back to, you know, yeah, whatever it was probably
0: um, Another uh, vodka question. Why not vinegar? Um, can't remember who.
2: you
1: can do vinegar. You can probably do, Gucos, you can do, vinegar. You can do vodka. You can do a combination I mean, there's lots of papers looking at people adding all three It all depends on what you're comfortable with and like as Sanjay said if you can manipulate them and you find something you're comfortable with do it don't constantly futzing around trying to find, oh, I'm going to add two more milliliters of vinegar and a little bit of sugar. Find something that works. Stick with it.
0: Um, Turtle Reef is wondering, should you be checking every three days when dosing vodka to make sure it's not dropping too fast? So how often would you guys recommend testing when you start doing vodka dose?
2: It's not going to drop that fast <laughs> at these low levels of vodka you're putting in.
1: Yeah, unless you dump in a, a ton But uh, at one or three milliliters or five milliliters or even 10 milliliters, it's not going to have that significant effect. Because you're also not using the high-grade, high-proof vodka. You're using a a lot of uh, water in the vodka. So, you know, and and don't use the vodka that you have out that your kids can get to and just fill up with water. You Make sure you have your
2: own stash of vodka.
0: Sturges Reef, drink the vodka, dose of vinegar. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
2: You know, vinegar is cheaper. Vinegar is cheaper than vodka.
0: Yeah. Um, Monster Yoon, what about golden algae? You guys ever run into golden algae?
1: That's dinoflagellates. That's dinoflagellates. Yeah, that's a whole nother. We could talk about that all night.
0: <laughs> yeah. That, that 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 is quite the hornet's nest in terms of all that uh
1: Yeah. If you if you have it, see if it's free swimming. If it is, put a UV sterilizer on it at night and it'll take care of it. Yeah. If it's not free swimming, God bless yeah, you. You're there's screwed. a whole, <laughs> Yeah, there's a whole variety of things that may or may not work. Yeah. So Yeah.
2: Silica, silicates. Um Dozing silicates. Yes. That seems to help with some of these other um, dinoflagellates essentially the idea is to create a diatom bloom, which is fueled by the silicates. Yeah, the diatoms will eat the dinoflagellates, I guess, or outcompete. them. And then eventually, you know, if you just let the stop dosing silicates, the diatoms die off, and you know, you're theoretically back to normal, but who knows. It could come yeah, back with
0: that <laughs> is a that is a comprehensive uh, discussion um scott Zeta, yeah, yeah. <laughs> are either of you dosing aminos or have tried in the past what's going on with aminos
1: i have and i have quit because i found that when i dosed them is when i had the worst bouts of rtn because some aminos particularly the yellower ones if you have an rtn issue can't exacerbate it if you don't have an rtn stn issue then they may be worthwhile but the question is, and we didn't even get to this, but in looking at the literature, there's almost nothing that shows the corals are consuming any of the stuff that we're adding. It's primarily the bacteria that the corals consume that are consuming this stuff. So whatever you're adding, you gotta, you're hoping that the bacteria that the corals consume is actually consuming it. So the amino acids are going to be consumed by the bacteria, which is then going to get consumed by the, uh, by the corals. So you know, how valuable is it? Uh, I added it for a number of years. I've quit adding it for the last year and a half since I had the uh, RTN STN issues and I haven't seen any dramatic drop in the uh, success of the tank, but some people dose it religiously and, and claim it, it does things uh, Like we said every single tank is different Sanjay and I have a lot of the same corals They look completely different in each other's tanks Everybody's tank is different and until you accept that I mean, you may want to have a tank like Sanjay, a tank like me, or a tank like somebody else. You're never going to get there. You're always going to have your own tank and be comfortable with that.
0: What about you, Sanjay? Yeah, I mean,
2: I dose I amino acids when somebody gives them to me as free samples <laughs> yeah. and says, here, you know, instead of throwing it down the drain, I put it in my tank. Send all your okay. free
1: amino acids <laughs> to Sanjay tonight for Christmas. <laughs> but they'll freeze on your yeah. porch while you're gone, so you don't send them now. Send them after the first of the year. <laughs>
2: So, yeah, I mean, yeah, and again, you know, did I notice any difference? No. Did I notice any difference when I stopped? No.
1: There's a lot of products sold in this hobby. There's different schools of of thought on on it,
2: There's a different school of thoughts on it. Some people say they see a benefit, okay? I'm not going to argue that because maybe they do see a benefit because they're deficient in something. Most likely it's N. Because that's what these amino acids are going to become at the end, a source of nitrogen.
1: Yeah. A source of nitrogen or a source of fatty acids, because that's a whole other topic, is are our corals devoid of or shortchanged on fatty acids? Because one of the things I've done, I started feeding the food that Sanjay mixes up with a salad shooter, which is basically a mix of a lot of different seafoods and other things. And in looking at what the content is, it has a fairly high fatty acid content. And that may have been one of the things that the corals were lacking were fatty acids. There is some literature that shows corals require fatty acids in order to be uh, getting to, to uh, spawning stage. So by adding the fatty acids, we may be getting the corals to spawn. My guess is Sanjay's probably had corals spawning in his tank for the last 10
2: years, but he's never collected the spawn.
0: I never knew it You're sleeping.
2: I've seen eggs. I've seen eggs in the corals when I, the I frag them. Yeah. I'll see the eggs so they could be spawning
0: uh is uh salmon in that uh um seafood mix mike
2: no
1: throw everything i don't don't use salmon because it's oily i throw everything i all use all white fish shrimp squid uh clams mussels oysters uh shrimp and uh the cheapest white fish you can buy at uh sam's club right sanjay
2: Yeah, I go to Walmart and pick it up. I mean I don't even go to Sam's Club because the bags are too big. Yeah. Walmart bags are a little smaller. Even with those small bags for 30 bucks, I make up food that lasts me for six months. You know? Yeah. I throw everything in there. I put nori in there too. I put everything in there. It's like all, all in
1: one mix. I put nori, I put, I put- uh uh sulcon, <laughs> I put prenatal vitamins, I put uh Julian sea veggies all up yeah. freeze it in ice cube trays take out a cube cut it in half pop it in fish go nuts
0: yeah i got a similar
1: yeah, it's not that
2: expensive i don't even soak it or i just drop the cube
0: you just drop the cube then and...
2: as it melts they just, just they drop fight the over the cube, and cube. And that's what i do they <laughs> fight over the cube
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, one of my recipes i use um they,
2: they, they play soccer with it they push it around all over the tank
0: Reefroids too. you can <laughs> throw a little reefroid in there. Oh yeah, no. I put I put,
2: some I some put in, in there too. Yeah, I put dry it. food. I what put everything. You? I put flake food in there. I just mix yeah. everything up.
0: No, that, it, it's uh, it's great. A little variety, it's uh, it's a good thing. Yeah. Um, what about live feeds? Um, uh, Sanjay, when you were over here, uh, you saw me growing live phyto, and you're like, yeah, what are you doing that for?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I I did it for nine months, Keith. I grew. Two strains, then I grew rotifers. <laughs> I added all three for nine months. You know what I saw? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I
2: saw no difference. So all I did. You was... want to add Fido? Just get that bottle of Fido from Reed.
0: The, con- the concentrate. The
2: concentrate. Yeah. I mean, save yourself the headache.
1: Well, that gets because expensive. More, I,
2: I've i got to the point you're adding where you ton of it. You're, you're adding a headaches. teaspoon of it. You don't have to add a ton of it. Not even a teaspoon. Not even a teaspoon, you
0: know. Are, yeah. you, are, you, are you doing that right now, Sanjay? Vital concentrate? No.
2: No. Well, if I have stuff left over from my breeding stuff, you know, there's a bottle of concentrate left, I'll pour that in. You know. Uh, I use it to grow rotifers, and then I throw my excess rotifers in the reef, too. Uh, yeah. Benefits, you know, I throw all, the, all that Benefit stuff in there. I throw refroids. I throw it all in my frozen mix. So there's particulate sizes there, you know, all the way from whatever the refroid size is or the Benefit sizes and all the way up.
1: Yeah, you don't put a ton and of it into frozen pieces. food, but you put a tablespoon or two. That's enough. I also put uh, dried garlic in it too to enhance the
2: flavor of it. Yep. I'm not eating it, so I don't care about. the Well, flowers. the
1: fish seem to like the garlic. You know? <laughs> I'm Italian, so we put garlic in everything.
2: Fish, fish eat it. Um, Plus, I think it's really important to get the fish to pe- eating pellets. I always tell people. Yeah. That. You're still
1: yeah. doing TDO. But I'm still doing TDO. The... TDO is.
2: You, yeah, I love TDO. Yeah. I yeah. use it all the time, and that's my staple food when I'm traveling. Right? I mean, my fish are used to eating pellets. Yeah. Even with all the food I put in, once a day, they always get pellets.
1: And give them a, a wide variety. If you have a wide variety of fish, get the small, the medium, and the large. Because the small, won't yeah, yeah. Eat, the small fish won't eat the big pellets. They will eat the little dust. <laughs> and the big fish typically won't eat the small little dust pellets. Yep. So when you, when you mix up your, your feeder, because I have the same feeder son. Well, I feed, have feeders on all the time when I travel. They're all full of pellets, and they all have a mixture of the pellets.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that that was another thing we didn't uh, really get into um, in terms of the stress parts of the hobby is traveling and, and getting the <laughs> reef tank ready right before you leave for a while. That that's pretty damn stressful if you ask me. I
2: mean I'm leaving and you know next week sometime. And by Sunday I'm gonna stop putting with mm. it. Yeah. Yep. Don't
1: do anything so everything do I need to do before. to that tank. Get a camera. We'll
2: have to be done by Sunday. Yeah, get
1: a camera and get a monitor. And so then you can I check have everything. a
2: few days to observe whatever, and hope that nothing major is happening from my little changes. I learned it the hard way. I used to always be fussing with stuff. Eleven o'clock at night, when my flight was at seven in the mm. morning. Right, and that's when you find oh, my pump is not starting up again because I shut it off and. Now the impeller is jammed and, you know, oh, that's my return pump and oh, I'm in trouble and, yep, you know, it's just too much. It's too stressful and it just ruins the vacation and yeah. everything else. So,
1: and Yeah, if, I had my calcium reactor days, my, died right days, before I went it, on three three my honeymoon. Before, touch
0: your calcium reactor stressful. died before you, your calcium reactor died before their honeymoon?
1: Yeah. Two weeks in Hawaii, every night, I, I had mixed up actually a little batch of uh, buffer and every Day, my mother-in-law with a little bit of buffer and every two days my friend Kevin would come and test to make sure the alkalinity hadn't skyrocketed or gone too low so I had just the right amount
2: you need a controller you need a controller just for that reason I have a controller now now it's on a controller and a
1: doser now I'm all set <laughs> Back then, it was a calcium reactor. It was too stressful. But you know what?
0: There's, there's always something that could happen that is completely unexpected. I mean, completely. Oh, yeah. And you yeah. can be screwed uh, big time if you're not there when it happens.
2: You know, over the years, you, you, you've tweaked the system, right? My one rule is if something goes wrong, I'm not putting it back the mm. same way.
1: I'm making it better and similar. Right?
2: I want to make it better. Or simpler, or do something that's not exactly the same thing. Because I know it's already failed once or maybe twice. Why put it back the same way? Figure out what the. So, like my calcium reactor, you know, I use my two part dosing as a backup to it. Calcium reactor can die now. Yeah, me too. And I can remotely adjust my dosing. Right? And the first time I did that, and I miscalculated how much alkalinity I was putting in. Right? that I, I didn't have enough two part to last my whole trip. Right? Now, well, I have fun- six gallon containers and I make two part in six gallons, it's gonna last me for a month. And I make sure it's all filled up before I go. Now, I got a one month supply and I can crank it up as much as I want and I know I won't exhaust it. Right? So you learn from all the mistakes yep. that happened, right? Yep. And the next time around, you kind of plan for it, right?
1: Yeah. Well, the other so that's thing, what is, I end up doing it. before you go on vacation, line up people for emergency calls and have a camera on your tank that can zoom around and look at your everything. I mean, I, I have two cameras and I have three people that I can call and they'll be here within 15 minutes. So if anything goes wrong, because the last time I was away, when I was in Italy, the uh, overflow on my sunlight tank Stopped working, so my poor friend Kevin had to come here and suck on the overflow, to get it restarted. <laughs> and I'm trying to explain to him from Italy what he had to do to get it going. So, God bless. You got to have somebody to look out for you when you're not home, because bad things will always happen as soon as you leave.
2: You need one person who definitely. Can fix things in your tank.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I have three, just in case. I don't trust anything.
0: I have house sitters, and uh, their um, level of expertise with reef keeping equipment and whatnot is uh, pretty low. So it's uh, it's good to have FaceTime. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh well, yeah. Yeah. Oh well, yeah.
0: So guys, uh, we're, uh, we're I think we're pretty uh, near the end here, but uh, just wanted to get your final thoughts before we wrap it up. Any uh, any words of wisdom? We've talked a lot about a lot of of different stuff tonight. Any parting words?
1: Yeah, enjoy the hobby. Have fun. Have fun meeting people and enjoying their company that they share the same passion that you do. I mean, him and I have had more fun than probably with anyone else because we've been doing this together for almost 35 years. But sit back and enjoy your tank. Don't look at it as a piggy bank. Look at it as something to look at and enjoy and bring down your stress level rather than constantly worrying about it and raising your stress level. And have your yep. spouse get you something nice for Christmas for your <laughs> <laughs> time.
0: Gift, gift cards always work well.
2: Hey, I told my kids and family, you are not buying me any fish ever. <laughs> no. Okay? Never. No. Because I know they'll buy a stupid fish that I would never want, and then it creates all sorts what's, of problems. Uh,
1: they buy your sweet lips.
2: They have good intentions. They have good what's, intentions. They'll yeah. so buy your little
1: sweet lips because it's so cute, Sanjay. <laughs>
2: yeah, so if, exactly. Uh, for both of you guys, if, uh,
0: if you had a, uh, a wish list in terms of a coral or a fish, what would, uh, what would be the
1: top of your list?
2: I don't think that I have one single thing.
1: You know, I'm getting a new uh, peppermint hogfish next Ooh. year. In honor of my dad. It only, only fish 40 years.
0: Yeah, sorry about, about uh, your dad's passing. Their condolences there, Mike. Thanks. Yeah, that's a gorgeous yeah, fish. Yeah, so
1: I'm getting, that is the one fish I am getting next year.
2: I'm really enjoying these new aquaculture fish from Biota and other places. They're awesome. They come in little small, tiny little fish. And if you do things right, then probably at my age they might outlast me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I I already have fish in my tank that are 20 years old. That's great. You know. Have you so now when I get these juvenile fish, I know they're a little more than twenty because I, don't, I know exactly how old they are. <laughs> and they're they're awesome fish. They are bold, they're not afraid. Right. They eat prepared foods very easily, and I enjoy going through all the color changes from juvenile all the way to adult.
1: Yeah, next next time so I've got a bunch of
2: little fish now that I'm really enjoying now.
1: Yeah, next time we meet, Keith, we can even talk about us both having orange spotted fowl fish in our tank. We won't talk about that <sighs> today, but we both have them now. We're not telling everyone to go out and get them. I've had mine for two months. Sandy's had his for three years. That's a whole another topic. Okay.
0: Uh, yeah, you know, Sanjay, my, uh, one of the most gorgeous fish I ever had was a um, a biota bar regal angelfish. And um, I picked them up from another hobbyist. thing was just really incredible yeah. misbar pattern. I mean, just spectacular. But it went to town, like, pretty much in every frag in, in the display tank I had him in. And I was like... <laughs> I, I, uh, it was killing me. I was, I, I was thinking of actually starting another tank to put this fish in. It was so gorgeous, but not, not a good idea to put a fish like that in a tank with frags only.
1: No, our, our no, good friend, Martin Lake has one of those and he has it in his sump. It has never been really. displayed for that reason. <laughs> well,
2: it depends on the fish. It does seem too, to right? depend. I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, you know, I, have a, I have a
1: red sea regal. That's 25 years old. Doesn't really bother anything. Only thing is, if I put another Regal in, which I've tried to do three times, it kills it within five minutes, even if it's sat in a box for a month. So it's a, a, a lone wolf Regal Angel.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: One of my dreams, I always loved the joculators, and I would l- wish that they would come back at a, re- at a reasonable price. You know, I mean, sure, there are things that I would want, but I'm not willing to pay an arm and a leg to get them either. So.
1: Yeah, we both had joculators at the same time from the same collector. They were spectacular, and then we both lost them at the same time, which was less than spectacular. Mm. Yeah.
2: So yeah, those, those are one of my favorite fish. The Karamabi is another one of my favorite fish. I,
1: uh, I would set up a, a tank separate for it if I could ever get a pair of debilious angels. Sandy doesn't think they're spectacular. I always think they're a really cool-looking fish.
2: Well, that's a... No, they are cool-looking fish. It's the price that's spectacular. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> out of my range yeah yeah
1: mine too yeah well
0: that's the great thing about the hobby though is that uh, different uh, you know different um, preferences yeah. and and uh, there's there's always something out there that somebody's really yeah uh...
2: I, I, I love my damsels
1: yeah I love my little yeah. damsels you, know? you have Rollins and Talbots which are both really
2: cool. I got Rollins I got Talbots. I got the coupings uh, you don't have any Vanderbilt's I- Not Vanderbils, but I have another one. I can't remember the name right now, but I have another pair of another one, too. They don't get more than an inch. You know, they're small, they're tiny, and they squabble among themselves and leave everybody else alone. You know, in a big tank, you can get away with lots of damsels. And, uh, you know, I'm one of those people that are very happy with these cheap little fish. Yeah, that's another topic. I mean, all of my damsels are spawning in my tank. All of them are. Wow.
1: That's, that's another topic we can talk about next time, Keith is uranema and how many fish are coming in with uranema now, particularly damsels, green chromis are like impossible. They all come in with uranema, mm. and even if you treat them and quarantine and manage them, it's bad really yeah, I've gotten seventy in since June, not one is alive Ooh. wow, yeah, and i I've, I've treated them, I've quarantined them, they seem healthy, then all of a sudden. Psh,
0: yeah, there's nothing like a big uh school of uh you know green chromis and um liar tail anthias you know can't go wrong there
2: doesn't matter my, my favorite yeah if,
1: if i was going to do one last tank I, so i've already done one last tank. but if i was going to do one more tank it'd be a 240 with five heads of coral as big different shapes a school of green chromis a school of anthias and maybe one oddball fish that would be it yeah
2: I mean I have twelve Antheas in my twelve lyra tails in my tank. And one male spawns with pretty much, I would say, at least ten of them every night. <laughs> That's a frisky one. <laughs> yeah. The nice thing about the lyre tails, they don't switch to males that quickly. Once they switch to males, then two males cannot even coexist in a five hundred yeah, gallon tank.
1: Wow. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. So, you know, for two or three years, the one male will dominate and then one female will get big enough and switch to a male. And change. the old male is done once that happens. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Gorgeous fish. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, guys, thank you uh, so much for uh, taking the time again uh, tonight to, uh, to be on the show. Good luck, uh, Sanjay, grading those exams. But uh, there's, <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming there's light at the end of the tunnel since you're going on vacation, right?
2: Well, yeah, there's always is. That's the beauty of having a semester. Yep. It always ends <laughs> <laughs> and then restarts. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it always ends yeah,
0: at yeah. So All right, guys, well, 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 thanks again. I also want to thank both uh, Bulk Resupply and Ecotech Marine for sponsoring and supporting the show. And also want to thank all you folks out there for tuning in and watching. And big thank you to Paul, who was the moderator as well as the president of the Boston Reefer Society. Please join and support your local reefing clubs. They are so important to this hobby also want to let you know that all episodes of Wrapping with Reef Bum are available as podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Amazon. My next Wrapping with Reef Bum live stream will be on Tuesday, December 19th, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Chris Meckley from ACI. So that should be another great show. If you want to check out the full upcoming schedule of guests, visit reefbum.com under the YouTube section. Until next time, be safe.